You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our amazing lineup of creators. Welcome back to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi. We're at the Summer for Religious Freedom, Washington, D.C., and have the chance now to talk to two great people from uh, the Unreasonable Podcast, or Podcast Unreasonable, and that is David Brown and Christina Icono. So, David, Christina, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having us, Brad. Let me tell you, let me tell folks about you. So, David is a Philadelphia-area progressive Democratic activist on a mission to engage a broader electorate by stripping politics of sensationalism and championing the grassroots organizing model. I love that. Uh, David's been a campaign manager, consultant, field director, finance director, speech writer, and former PA State Democratic Committee person. What what does David not do? Christina, (laughs) chairwoman of the Chads for Democrats and serves as secretary on the Board of Citizens for Better Elections, a nonprofit organization working to promote election security and efficiency. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. My brother lives in Pennsylvania. Uh, a lot of eyes on Pennsylvania right now. We Doug Mastriano and mm. Shapiro, uh, Fetterman, the whole thing. People are, are thinking about your state. So let me just start here. Both of you have been so invested in organizing, in making sure people have the right to vote, making sure that their vote counts. As we think about the future, we think about continued attacks on our election uh, systems, on free and fair elections, on state legislatures trying to go rogue. Um, What is on your mind in terms of the biggest threats to every vote counting going forward? Do you want to take? Sure. Well, something we've been talking about on our podcast, actually, we just recorded about this very subject and and a bit about Doug Mastriano and his potential run for for Senate, for Casey's, Bob Casey's Senate seat. We've we've been talking about how uh, the... The Republicans have so successfully played the long game. Of course, the Dobbs decision is what's on everybody's minds. Now, last year, it was why I believe Democrats won big. I don't, I don't think the Democratic Party can take a lot of credit for that. But uh, because, because right now, the party as a whole is not as interested in building an organizational infrastructure as it seems to be concerned about its messaging, uh, I fear that we're giving up. Uh, a lot of ground to grassroots campaigns, the likes of which Doug Mastriano is very familiar with. He ran a grassroots campaign last year, and while he got slaughtered, most likely for his crazy beliefs and the fact that the whole nation was afflicted by crazy beliefs, he's changing hearts and minds. He's talking about kitchen table issues. His volunteers are when they go door to door. Maybe they haven't seen the image of him, for example, in his Confederate uniform. Maybe they have not heard him flirting with, with, I don't think he ever quite, he, he never, he's not technically a self-avowed uh, Christian nationalist, but he has all but said it. <laughs> and that's, that's what concerns me. I, th- I think the biggest threat is if, if we, if we don't pay attention to what's happening on the ground to the point of what Christina and I do. Yeah. He's got a prophet. Uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Mastriano has his own little prophets that run around and, and blow the shofar and do the weird things and do all that. Uh, that nonsense, and you know that he—that's he, his game. But he, the the funny thing about Mastriano from a financing perspective is he doesn't spend money on TV ads. 
He spends his money on YouTube ads. He advertises through Gab and through weird social networks. And he has built a network. And that is, uh, that's a terrifying thing when you think about what he's doing on the ground and how he's working that. Another important aspect to think about with Pennsylvania is our election systems. We have very, we have a modern update to old election code. We do not have clear and concise law about curing ballots. I don't know if anybody, if, if I should tell anybody what curing ballots mean, but if you vote by mail and you don't sign your outer envelope or you don't date your outer envelope or there is something wrong with your ballot that would make it not count, we have 67 counties in Pennsylvania and you have 67 different methods to cure. So the state Supreme Court had said that Counties can do whatever they want. So if you live in Montgomery County, maybe your ballot's going to be cured. Maybe the county will reach out to you and say you've made a ballot error. But if you live in Lancaster County, nope, forget about it. So that that will impact elections. That's astounding. It's just astounding, first of all. And I think it's really good for people to hear the ways that the election, when, when people hear, well, uh, what's the big deal? You vote and it counts. Why is that hard? I mean, I think there's a lot of folks who are, aren't in that into politics or like, this can't be that complicated. But you just said it so uh, concisely, Christina, which is you, you sign it in the wrong place or you, you do a minor error and maybe you don't even know that yep. your vote didn't count. And it just depends on which county you're in. You got to go do the work to figure that out. It, it's, it's really just a vivid example of how, how these things work. I want to I think about Fetterman a little bit and, and the ways that he was able to be a contrast to some of the kind of Christian nationalists and other forces in the state. One of the things that I think some observers outside of Pennsylvania have perhaps noticed, and, and I'm happy for you to, to just disagree with me on this and, and say you have no idea what you're talking about, you don't live in Pennsylvania, so get it right, is that is there a way that John Fetterman um, represents perhaps a pathway for the Democratic Party to recapture blue-collar workers, folks in small towns who are not getting a fair shot, people who feel as if they've been left behind and to do so. And this is, I think, important. And I think I'll just be, be honest where Fetterman made it by the nick of his teeth and wasn't one of his strengths to do so without alienating black voters, people of color and others. Is there a pathway for the Democratic uh, Midwestern political figure who appeals to a group of voters that was once a stalwart of the Democratic Party, meaning uh, the person in central PA, right? The person in a small town that's like, I'm not getting a fair shake. I've been told to vote Republican because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm supposed to be afraid all the time because of trans people and, and gay people and pronouns. But this guy seems to have a better message. <laughs> what should I do? So how does that look for y'all? Because obviously, you know, way more about this than me. And I'm, I'm so gonna... we we had a little bit of a conversation about this where we thought, and this is something that we talked about Mastriano. And if you think about the last election in November of 2022, there were people that voted for Fetterman and voted for Mastriano. So how does that, so, so that's where you start talking about, like, how does the Democratic Party message and how is that message different from the campaign that Fetterman ran? Because that, I think, is really, and David, all about the, the party. So if you want to go into a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe too much. Uh, well, yeah. So, so there, there was that voter who split their, their ticket voted for Mastriano and Fetterman. I, I brought up the harrowing point that was, that was brought to my attention. And when we actually at our last recording session, our, our latest, one of our latest episodes, 
uh, about an organizer I know who runs a Unitarian Universalist organization. That's yeah. my church, yeah. my church as an atheist. But <laughs> we just about an hour ago spoke to the president of the UUA. I knew she was here yeah. and I didn't so connect with her. She, yeah, she, she came in. She wondered why you weren't in church this morning, but no, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, no she, it was great. Of course. So, just wanted to mention. Well, so, so a UU organizer, the head of, of UU Justice PA actually mentioned to me uh, near the end of last year's campaign cycle that she was canvassing in the Harrisburg area and, and heard people at the door saying, I won't vote for the Jew. And that, I mean, and that's my heritage. So I'm instinctively freaked out, but also it's, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that this is a, this is a, apparently a selling point for people who would even vote for Fetterman. And maybe to your broader point, I should be optimistic about that, that Fetterman can pull, draw some support from people who, who have some really terrible views. Otherwise I Fetterman was, was not my choice in the primary. Mm -hmm. And yet I was very excited when he won. Mm -hmm. And the reason is at the time I was on the state committee and the state committee is a body about 400 elected and appointed uh, Democrats in Pennsylvania. And they, to, to have attended that endorsement meeting back in January of 2022, you would think that Connor Lamb, the conservative Democrat from the West, the unapologetically pro-pipeline and fracking candidate, uh, was, was the absolute sweetheart of the Democratic Party. He just missed the state committee endorsement by, by a hair. He, he fell just short of the endorsement threshold, which is actually fairly high. And I'm grateful for that. It should uh, be. Yeah, it should be. And the voters had something entirely different to say. And I loved that because it felt so much like a divorce from that sort of insider baseball mentality that, that so many uh, elected officials, committee pe Democratic committee people, yeah. I can speak to my own party at least, uh, how they approach politics. And so I was grateful that, that Fetterman won the vote of the people. And I think he won frankly, because he looks like he can eat Republicans for breakfast. Yes, he has, he has some, some popular positions. Of course, he is not as progressive as I would like, where the environment is concerned in particular. In fact, he, he did the same thing that Kamala Harris did in her VP debate, debate when he debated Oz. Among his many issues with that debate, he, he, he was an apologist for, for big energy. And I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little off topic here, but I, what I do, to your point, I, I am excited by the prospect that perhaps that, that, that public perception of him might, might carry forward, but, yeah. but beyond that, the perception that he is now, he is now associated with, with dealing with mental health issues yeah. and dealing with, with, uh, work, stroke recovery. And, and I've heard a surprising amount of sympathy on the ground from even Republicans who respect him for staying in the race in spite of all of that. So I. I'm actually pretty, strangely, I'm pretty excited about this guy who didn't do anything for me before the primary. Yeah. And in spite of all the obvious concerns about his health, now I think there is cause to be optimistic about him. I, what I heard in your response there too, though, David, was that it, there's good and bad. And on one hand, uh, part of Fetterman's appeal is he looks like he can eat Republicans for breakfast and he, he kind of fits in in into certain parts of the state right but you also had people on the ground saying i'm not going to vote for the jew and so the 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 flip side is is we, we <laughs> you're just still in this sort of uh situation in this country where if you look a certain way if you come from a, a certain background um there's just a lot of voters that are just turn turning you out which is which is a problem so anyway that's for another day it's for another conversation 
one of the things you also talked about though was organizing. And I want to return to that because you talked about a state committee and I'm imagining 400 people in a room and a <laughs> social club. Yeah, a very contentious atmosphere, I'm sure. And then though, when we started this whole discussion, y'all talked about Mastriano's ground game. Yep. And I guess one thing, and then let me ask this question. I'm happy to 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 talk more about the the Christian nationalist parts of of this whole thing and Mastriano's prophets, and th that's all my wheelhouse. So <laughs> feel free to fire away to, to towards me on that on those points. But is there something that we can learn from this? A that Fetterman was the the, the people on the that the guy that people chose, even though the 400 folks in the room didn't really have him on their radar. And B, Mastriano from the other party has a ground game that in many ways is non-traditional. Uh, Gab, social media networks, you know, YouTube. He appears to the outsider as crazy. And I know he appears like he's out of his gourd. So one of the problems for decades has been, on one hand, laugh him off because he appears like he's got these yeah. profits falling. On the other hand, hey, oh, his ground game and organizational uh, prowess Way beyond the other side. Yep. And I think that's where there's been a lot of trouble for Democrats. And Christine, I don't know, maybe you want to jump in oh, on this, but yeah. We are doomed if we laugh it off. We are doomed. We cannot assume that anybody that is running for election that appears to be a complete lunatic is going to be laughed out of office because, well, I don't know. Have you seen the Congress critters that are in the halls? Because we're, we're a few, few blocks away from them here. And they are, they're not fit to be there, but they're there and they were elected by their people. So I, I do, I am very afraid of anybody who says, oh, we have it in the bag. David and I are often talking about that. Like it, it is too, the minute that we are complacent, people sit back and relax and do nothing. And if we've learned anything in the recent election cycles, it's that if, if all of these elections are coming so close, you've got 49%, 51%. We are we are so the margins are too small. If that keeps up, if, if complacency is going to breed disinterest and apathy, and we cannot have that. So I think that even when the candidate is a little goofy, weird, strange, whatever adjective you want to put in there, weird. What is that 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 prophet that uh, new apostolic reformation? Are we talk about Lance Wall now. Uh, well, no, yeah. we're talking about yeah. someone else. Okay. Uh, Abby Abidness. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, who I guess is Lance's, like one of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the, <laughs> you know them all. This is awesome. <laughs> Normally I go wonk out on this and Bennett's like, stop. <laughs> People, no, nobody wants to hear these weird names. Just stop it. <laughs> but it's awesome to be able to, yeah. Abby is his, um, that's one of his prophets. Okay. And um, yeah, I just think that if people, don't know that there is a danger there and don't show up at elections because they think, oh, nobody's going to vote that guy in, then he'll be our next senator yeah. and we can't have that. Well, and they're not going away. So you, you said Mastrano might run for Senate. Well, Carrie Lake might run for Senate. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that's another lesson. They, they're not, they don't give up. They don't no. care. Oh, I lost. Okay. I'll go away. I'll go eat brunch and just, you know, play <laughs> golf. No, I'm back. I'm not, I'm not going to stop. And I, I think there's a, there's a fear on our side of like, well, if I lose, what, what does that mean? And is it worth trying? And I don't know. You know what I mean? And 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 they're they're not only have a ground game that is uh, it going through these non-traditional channels, their mindset is like, oh, I lost. I didn't actually lose. I'm going to try again. And as much as I hate to say this, that's that's a, a virtue that should probably be something that, you know, some of us in the room can learn from. 
And David is going to run again. Okay. <laughs> you, did we hear it here first? Are well, you making well, an announcement uh, right well, now? Well, okay. uh, sadly not here because I, I've, I'm such, I have such a big mouth. That I've been telling just about everyone <laughs> since I lost the first time. So I, I'm a candidate for state representative in Pennsylvania's 166th. I am challenging an incumbent Democrat who's been there 30 years, not passed a single bill. Um, you know, I, I am, I am, I've learned a lot from this process. My background is in organizing. I come to the perspective of candidacy, candidacy as a campaign manager. And it, uh, this actually, it's a nice foray into exactly what I wanted to say on this note about organizing that I feel our problem as a, as a secular movement, as the democratic party, as a progressive movement, whatever your, your progressive leaning affiliation the answer is organizing. I mean, it, I, I feel like there is an answer to our national strife, to our national disunity, okay. to our, our close elections, to distrust in the system. It's an easy answer, and it's very, very challenging to conceive of a scenario in which it prevails. Mm -hmm. And that answer is that everybody needs to be on the ground organizing. Yeah. And when I mean organizing is a great blanket term for a lot of things. It's a vague term. And what I, what I reference first and foremost, what I mean when I say organize, is to have physical in-person conversations. This is what turns the tide of elections. When I talk about Mastriano's uh, grassroots game, yeah, he, you know, his social media presence was, well, it was literally viral, Yeah, but you heard all cycle last year from, from I, I made the comment to, to Christina in, in the episode we recorded about this, where, where in social media forums in support of Shapiro, mm -hmm. you have these Facebook warriors in support of Shapiro saying, Oh, look at these, this, look at this, this picture of these idiots who are out canvassing exactly. for Mastriano. Look, and I'm so be, be proud of me. I said these nasty things. And I actually, I, I hopped on, I do not usually engage in social media <laughs> banter, but I hopped on and say, do you, when have you ever knocked a door? Yeah. When have you ever, did you, why didn't, why didn't you just, why didn't you talk to them? Like yeah. really talk to them, yeah. try to understand them and mm -hmm. why they're doing it. Why don't you pick up the nerve to yeah. do it yourself? Because that's, that's what wins elections. That's what changes minds. And sometimes we, as, uh, as issues entities, as the Democratic Party, what have you, make decisions on a, on, on a basis of strategy based on limited resources and time. We have a campaign. It's going to run for six months if there's no competitive primary, for example, maybe a little longer if there is. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to hire a staff probably from out of town. They don't know the area. We have this much time to accomplish X, Y, or Z, uh, field goals, finance goals, communications goals. And, um, and, and, and we don't really, we don't have time for most of the people here. Yeah. We don't, oh, we're, we're not even going to go into that precinct because it's too deep, deeply red. Well, why is it red? Because you don't go in there. Right. And so if you're not talking to everybody, we hear this a lot in Pennsylvania. I was yep. just having this conversation today at the SRF, uh, that, uh, that I was talking to somebody about, about the center of Pennsylvania. Why does it have to be that we just assume that the rural parts of Pennsylvania, yeah. the yeah. great microcosm for our country, yeah. you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and, and red in the middle, uh, <laughs> why do we have to just accept mm -hmm. that that's mm -hmm. forever Republican territory? It's forever Republican territory because we're afraid to get in there, talk to these people, have conversations, and guess what? They want to talk to us. They do. Most people are not going to you know, let's go, Brandon, get off my lawn and worse. That does, that happens once in a while. Most people are just excited to have a conversation and they're excited to find out that guess what? This, this, uh, this, this Jewish atheist is actually not, uh, the devil as yeah. we've been promised. Yeah. And he has something interesting 
that that to, to talk about that appeals to me. Yeah. And that reminds me of when you were talking about Fetterman, like what did Fetterman do differently? When Fetterman was a lieutenant governor, Fetterman ran a, a 67 county campaign to uh, look into legalization yeah. of marijuana. Yeah. And that, I think, is is just like talking to what David said. He went to the areas that people normally don't. Yeah. He sat in rooms with the people that he did not expect votes from. And took up a great bipartisan issue. And they then started wearing his stickers. Mm-hmm. Started So when you when you talk about it, wasn't it, I mean, the way he looked may have helped. But it wasn't just the way he looked. It was that he did the work. Yeah. We have uh, years of organizing in the room here, all this experience. And what I hear is this really incredibly complicated rocket science that says, if you actually go talk to people (laughs) and invest in those communities, maybe they might understand what you stand for and just just think that maybe, you know, you're worth talking to and maybe joining up with and and so on. So, uh, you know, I'm being facetious. It's not that complicated. It just takes work. It takes persistence. Um, it takes uh, a willingness to um, get out there and do more than comment on Facebook or or tweet. And, you know, that's something that I think is is really important to note. Um, we're going to run out of time here, but I do want to give you, you know, Bennett, your executive producer of your show, who's sitting uh, in the room, never lets lets you talk about the the details of Christian nationalism. Well, I'm your man. Just <laughs> geek out. Come on. Give me a question. Let's do it. I just want you to feel good. And that this way you can get it out of your system and Bennett won't yell at you next oh my time God, you record. Christina's dream just yeah. came true. Oh. Right yeah. Okay. Um, so many, so many, so many things. Um, so the new apostolic reformation, um, they're super, they, when I look at them, I think that that is just a dangerous sect. Um, I, I would not consider that a religion, but like I, I consider it more like a like, it, like it's a, a cult or a sect. What do you think about them, and what do you think about their growth? Like it, I look at that, and I like we hear the term Christian nationalism being thrown around, especially this weekend, a lot with a blanket term. It's a blanket cover, and it 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 tends to lack focus. So my uh, so we did a whole series called Charismatic Revival Fury on our show. Uh, and so uh, people listening will know that. But if, if folks have not checked that out yet, that's your definitive guide. And I'm going to say some things that are really uh, I want to credit to my colleague, Matt Taylor, who who, again, many of you listening will know. But what Matt says is exactly what you're hinting at, Christina, is that all Christian nationalisms are not the same. And the New Apostolic Reformation is supercharged. Its goals and its rhetoric are extreme when it comes to their uh, understanding of what they want to accomplish in the country. So I think that's number one. The reason that the New Apostolic Reformation is so hard to categorize is because it's not based on a denomination. So you can't go say, you talked about being Unitarian. You can't go say, oh, it's a bunch of Baptists, right? In, in PA, there are there are Mennonites, there are Amish, there are, there are a lot of Catholics in, in Pittsburgh. This is not about a denomination. It's about loose networks of churches and communities that are really uh, linked together by a spiritual oligarchy. So instead of like a hierarchical Southern or Catholic church or Episcopal church, what you have are this kind of group of spiritual oligarchs who each have the influence over 100,000, a million people. And they all buttress and uh, uplift each other publicly and they agree on messaging. So they meet as a kind of this pantheon of demigods and then they agree on what to say and then they go out to their armies and they mobilize. So I think that's one. So they're not really prophets. They're not getting this directly from God. <laughs> I, I hate to break it to you. Um, <laughs> uh, we are very surprised yeah. to learn this. Yep. Shock. I, uh, oh, my well, gosh. Can't see my grad shock school. Face. I went to 10 years of grad school and I can tell you that anyway. Um, 
I, I think the other thing about them is this is one of the few areas of American Christianity that's growing. Okay. Why? Because what they do is they have a spiritual warfare language that really gives people a character to play. I had somebody uh, I was talking to the other day, they put it perfectly. They said, you know, QAnon and the New Apostolic Reformation are both cosplay. Mm. And it gives people a character to play in a physical war, just like you would, oh. right? So you you have a lot of symbols, you have a lot of shofars and instruments and rituals, and you literally get to think of your life as part of a cosmic battle. And so when you, th and, and you will determine, I mean, the New Apostolic Reformation doesn't think God has absolute control over everything. They think that there's actually a, a war between God and his angels and Satan and his demons. And so if you are part of that. You're like, well, God isn't going to just fix it someday. We, the army, have to go out there and make it happen. So there's this incredible story that you get to put your life into and say, let's go. I will fight to the death for this. And so it's appealing to people, unfortunately. And it also is really, really toxic because the, the rhetoric is a one of warfare. And what we argue on the series is that the spiritual warfare language is a, a short step to the physical warfare right? The actual violence, whether at the Capitol on January 6th or other places, and you really end up in a place of dehumanization. The other part of it, last comment, so you, I promised you I'd geek out with you on this, <laughs> uh, is that you get to turn your political opponents, not, they're not just humans who came to my lawn and said, hey, I, we're here to talk about the Democratic Party. You get to turn your opponents into enemies. It's one thing you have a political opponent. You're going to run in a race. If you win, you're happy. You're going to shake hands and say, right? If not, hopefully what you'll say is, well, we were opponents, but now we're in the same party. Let's work together. In this scenario, you're a demon-possessed enemy. You're not my political... Oh, you won, I lost. Shake hands. I'll try again next time. You're a demon-possessed mm. enemy from Satan, right? Think about what that does to democracy. Think about that. what that does to people's mindset. So anyway. So um, this is like LARPer politics. It, you know what? <laughs> and I'm not... It sounds... It's. It, it, I want to I thank Bill Vandenberg on, online. I, I want to give credit to where Greta's. He was talking about this on Twitter. He tagged me. That's exactly what he said. And I, there's a <laughs> lot... There's a lot to think about there. There's that a lot is, to think about. So... Oh. All right, okay, I can, and I would do one more. Yeah, let's do Just it. Just one more. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned that you were raised in Southern California yeah. and that a lot of the, the Christians that you were with are now moving to the uh was it i guess the pacific northwest yeah or uh yeah for the uh, american readout yeah um would you do you, so i i want you to talk about that but also like how scary is that and it like when i think about american readout mm -hmm. and i think about like the potential for uh for additional things like waco or things yep. like that they're yep. basically stockpiling guns and preparing for war yep Answer is yes. 80,000 Californians left California in 2018 for Idaho specifically. So, and the social science tells us that all the Californians moving uh, to Idaho are making Idaho more red. So mm -hmm. like you think, oh, here comes the Californians, a Prius and a Tesla and <laughs> give me the quinoa there. And you know what? They're making it, uh, pushing it further to the right. That's number one. You mentioned Waco. This summer, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Patriot Front shows up with yeah. like 30-something people. They're seconds away from a massacre at a Pride event. That is, there's a powder keg waiting to happen there. And then I think that Idaho, and I say this, and I, I think it pertains to Pennsylvania. If you try to do this in Pennsylvania, you're going to run into Philly and its surrounding counties. You're going to run into Pittsburgh, surrounding counties. You do this in Montana or Idaho, 
you're going to run into Boise and Boise is like purple at best. There's some farmer's markets, you know, and a, uh, Whole Foods in Boise, but it's like center. So you're not running into the heart of Philly. You're not yeah. running into the heart of Baltimore. You're not running into the heart of Atlanta. So you can pick that region and you don't run into Austin or Houston like you wouldn't. You, you see where I'm going with yeah. this? Yeah. It's really strategic on a state level. You can reach takeover status without confronting. People say, why not Texas? Well, have you been, y'all been to Houston? Yeah. Houston's the third largest city in the country. How many black folks, how many brown folks, how many Asian folks are in Houston? You're never going to just get the complete sweep. You can in Montana. You can in Idaho. Oh. Right? So there's a thing there. So anyway, all right, we're out of time. I can see everybody's <laughs> like, we got to we gotta go eat lunch and do some other stuff. Where can we, Christina, David, where can we link up with the pod and some other stuff? Well, thank you so much once again, Brad, for having us. This is, this is, it's been exciting to hear you speak, get to meet you, to, to, to finally put a face to a voice. <laughs> so yeah, you can find us. Our website is podcastunreasonable.com. We are available wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, wherever. But we, our, our show is very, I do want to make one, one little plug about it, which is that our show is very action item oriented. So, so we try to, to speak to interesting folks like you. <laughs> about about Christian nationalism itself, religious infringements on government and politics, but we always want to provide that optimism that there is something we can do about it. So so please go listen, but but please get involved too. We're we're gonna tell you what to do, how to do it, where to go to connect with the activities, the actions you can take that matter the most. I love that. I, I appreciate that. And that's something that I feel like on our show we've we've tried to develop but have have not ever done a, a good enough job at. So uh, I'm really glad that uh, you put it that way. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for stopping by. Let's talk Thank again you. soon. Thank you again. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.